Hi, everybody. This is Tracy Malone from Narcissist Abuse Support. Welcome. Today, we are going to be talking to those of you who are divorcing a narcissist. I have got the most wonderful guest who has given us an entire hour of her time. And she is a financial planner that helps couples really separate the money and make sure that you're getting what you're supposed to get and not be fooled or tricked into giving away the farm as it would be. My guest, Stephanie Vocal, is from a organization in South Carolina. I met her through a client and she's amazing. I can't wait to keep doing work with her. And, and the information that she has given us today is a gift to you. We are going to discuss the top seven common errors in going through a divorce. And these are on your financial end. We need you to protect yourself. So without any further ado, let's welcome Stephanie. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Tracy. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Would you do my audience a favor and, and quickly give us a little introduction and, and tell us about your credentials that brought you here that I was so impressed with? Yes, yeah, so we are a firm in Columbia, South Carolina. We're right in the middle of the state, and I am a certified financial planner practitioner as well as a certified divorce financial analyst. Nice, nice. So you help people get through the financial part of their divorce. Absolutely. We specialize in helping clients not only understand the complexities of their financial situation and helping them to negotiate or understand what's fair to them in divorce, but we also help them understand how the decisions they make in divorce will impact their financial future. I know so many people don't really understand that. I was working with a girl the other day who was like, oh yeah, we have a parenting plan. He gets them every other weekend and Thursdays. And I'm like, what? Like what happens when? And they were like, oh, I hadn't thought about when my baby's not three. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. So that's not even the financial aspects, but the financial aspects tie throughout the entire life if you've got kids or even your own financial security. So it's so important that they meet with someone like yourself. And that's why I've brought you here. So thank you. I know today we're going to talk about the seven common errors in divorce. So this, I think, is going to help so many people. And it starts off by not getting good advice early. Want to talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, it, it's something where people need to not waver. They need to get some kind of a referral or a trusted source where they hire professionals early. If that doesn't happen, you can make some really big mistakes. So you need to move forward and hire an attorney, get legal advice, make them part of your team. Even if you don't want to retain them, you at least need to go and have some sort of a consultation where you understand your legal rights. And then hire a therapist. Sometimes that's for you and your children. Um, I can't stress how important that is. Divorce is so emotionally tough that having that support is huge, even though divorce feels like it costs a lot and it does, that is money that you just, you're going to have to find a way to have a therapist during all of this. And certainly as a financial professional, I'm going to tell you to hire one, you know, not every divorce is, has a lot of complexities, but you at least need to pay someone like myself by the hour to review your marital settlement agreement before you agree to it so that you know, you know, how is this going to impact me? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that's what we do. It's not the role of your attorney or even the CPA who might be in, in your divorce to tell you how these decisions are going to impact your future. And most people don't realize that. Like your attorney isn't there to help you make wise financial decisions. Yeah, absolutely. They're there to separate, you know, houses, money, children, and in and out and divide the contract of marriage versus the financial pieces. Yeah. Or for people that I worked with the emotional pieces, there's so much that goes on. And, and actually hiring the wrong therapist 
that isn't really that well versed in divorce can help you a little bit with your emotional stuff. But when you get someone like myself in that is dealing with people and their divorce um, journeys that, that can say, you know what, check that fact out. That one isn't quite as, you know, as, as you see it. There's other parts of it. Ask your lawyer, ask your financial planner, someone that's going to point it out, not just go, oh, you're sad today. <laughs> such a difference in, in getting the right help. And I encourage everyone from the get-go to do that. Right. And your clients that I've worked with, they get it, you know, and, and it is a big help for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, the next part is having the right mindset. How do they get into the right mindset? What's, what's divorce mindset besides like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so I will add a caveat here. Um, sometimes it, because I, I know you work with um, folks who, you know, have a spouse who is a narcissist or potentially a narcissist, you know, it, this negotiating mindset that I, uh, try to coach people to get into with divorce may not be the right mindset when you're working with somebody like that. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to go to mediation at some point, or even make an offer to your spouse, having a mindset of negotiating is better than winning, right? Because the narcissist spouse is going to try to win. And nobody wins in divorce. It's just not the right mindset to have. So if your, you know, spouse has narcissistic tendencies or they are they're narcissistic, you might even just want to work with somebody like me and your attorney to come up with an offer that is what I always say, your price for peace, right? Because, um, you know, you need to know what that is. It, it instead of, wasting your money and your assets on uh, spending thousands and thousands of dollars to fight that person. Maybe you just need to figure out what it would take to make them go away and let that be, you know, your price for peace. So that's part of having the right mindset. The other thing is, you know, moving on and not blaming, not rehashing old events that doesn't help you know, be, being empowered and um, being around people who are going to help you be empowered and not being a victim mm -hmm. is a huge part. I mean, you and I could talk an hour for that about that, right? <laughs> yes, we could. <laughs> uh, so you wanna you wanna fight for what's yours, but again, you know, with a narcissistic person, that's not always the the right the right mindset, you know, to have. Yeah. Absolutely. And pride and ego get involved. You know, when you've been wounded, this, this ego comes out that says, I'm going to fight. I'm going to show everyone what they really are. And that won't matter, but you will run up a huge legal bill because the facts are the facts, right? And right. money is the money. The kids are the kids, the ages, the visitation, the things aren't that complicated, of course, if you've got an abusive parent, then then you have to take actions to protect your children. But um, the, the mindset has to be more on peace versus conflict. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't and I can't stress that enough, you know, and and taking an active role, you know, not being passive and just accepting what they say, but really trying to learn you know, what might be an alternative to, to this situation and learning about topics that you're, that you don't feel like you're competent in. So really trying to learn is, is a great way to approach it too. It certainly can be a learning event if you allow it to be. <laughs> Absolutely. And talking with someone like you is going to just give them so much confidence. Um, and I, I know that you work with people that have assets that need to be divided, but I'm sure you also work with people that don't have as much so that they can also protect that. So I think that's a misnomer to people that say, oh, I don't have enough. I don't need a financial person. Well, you could lose more if you don't talk to someone because this is the moment where things get shifted from your pocket and, and their pocket, right? Absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a little while, but if you've got in which most Americans, you know, you've got a home, you've got a retirement plan or 401k, those are your two biggest assets. I mean, if that's even all you have, 
talking to somebody like me, even if it's hourly work, you know, can help you not avoid some of those mistakes. Yeah, that's a really good idea. So, so I know that um, divorce is such a roller coaster. We briefly touched on the need for a therapist, but um, what happens when people don't keep their emotions in check? Yeah. So one of the things I say to clients a lot is don't cry in your attorney's office. It's expensive, right? So, you, you know, you retain the attorney, you pay them uh, by the hour. And so if you spend your hour in there crying about your spouse, it's a very expensive way to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. So having your therapist or a good friend to talk to those things about and really utilizing your time, you know, with your attorney, making lists of questions you want to ask ahead of time is a great way to be prepared, but to keep your emotions in check while you're in their office. So, you know, it is, again, like I said earlier, not thinking that you're going to win. You know, that's not, you've got to keep that emotion in check. You don't win. And it's really easy to get frustrated when you hear something that you supposedly did or said but keeping those emotions in check will really help you when it comes to your wallet. And it, 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 a lot of ways, divorce is a marathon, right? And so saving that energy for something that really matters, you know, you've got you to figure out when it makes sense to expend that emotional energy and when it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the other thing that I try to talk to clients about is, like you were saying, you know, you're not going to make them pay. Don't have the mindset of, oh, I'm going to show him. I'm going to take him to the cleaners. That is not the way divorce works. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've just got to really um, have that kind of mindset. And, and like I was saying before, you know, you've got to hire good professionals early. Hire so you don't become dire. You're not going to be able to study books or read things and figure all this out. You've got too much going on emotionally. So hiring professionals so you don't become dire later it is just huge. Um, and support groups, you know, I will say join a support group. Those are so helpful to get a lot of these emotions out. You know, there's divorce care and there's other, um, you know, non-faith-based groups that I will say, you know, are out there that are offered in your community, and that can be huge. You know, you've got to realize that divorce brain or divorce fog is a real thing, and um, take care of yourself. You know, make sure that you're, if you're taking an Epsom salt bath or you're doing things that are inexpensive to do good self-care to help you keep those emotions in check, because if you don't, it's just not going to be good for you in the long run, not for the marathon or, you know, for your wallet. Yeah. Or for your kids. I mean, that's yeah. the important part about staying stable is if you've got kids and you're an emotional wreck and your spouse doesn't have them full time and can step in and be Disney mom or Disney dad, then, and they come home to your house and you're just cuckoo crazy, it's going to, it's going to start to divide you. And you're going to have a lot of questions with parenting and things like that. I run support groups for women um, that are going through a divorce and the journey that they take together is absolutely amazing. They are helping one another. They are on each other's side. They are, um, you know, it, it's so powerful to watch and they don't want to ever leave. They're just like, ah, I need more. I need more. And it's, it, and you do that internationally too. I do. I have people from all over the world in those. It's so cool. <laughs> Yeah. So I know another one of your, your um, things that we want to worry about is, is, is no preparation. What, what, what is entailed in that mistake? Yeah. So if I could stress any of them, it would be this one <laughs> because, you know, I do see uh, people just not getting organized. And so not just being prepared in the process, like I was talking about earlier, where you can make lists before a list of questions before you go to your attorney's office or making a list of items you want to cover while you're there. But even being prepared before you file or before you um, start the process, because, and, and you just, and I want to say this, you know, you might be in a situation where this was forced on you and you might not be able to do this. So, but if you can get ahead of that, be a detective, 
you know, when the spouse leaves um, either for a weekend or an hour or a day, maybe to go to work or something and you work from home or, or you don't work, go in the, in the home office, go in the filing cabinet and make sure that you're scanning documents or making copies, running down to Kinko's and getting copies of tax returns, financial statements. Um, you know, I'm of the paper generation. So I was born in the eighties, but if, if you're, you know, if you're proficient and you can get documents from bank accounts online and use one of those zip drives or those jump drives and start organizing your financial data your wills, your trust documents, um, anything that touches your life from a financial standpoint, just making a copy of those statements. I've got clients just like you probably do, Tracy, who are great detectives. And so that's a lot of times clients will hire me ahead of time to help them know, okay, what do I need to do to get prepared, right? And so we have lists that we provide them that we help them know this is exactly what you've got to do. And then the other thing is, you know, divorce is very cash intensive. You're hiring professionals um, like attorneys or mediators or people like myself. You know, our retainers are not cheap. Most of the time, the retainers are $5,000. And so you have got to um, make sure that you're prepared and you've got some cash set aside, or you've taken out, a, you know, possibly a home equity line or a loan on your 401k or, you know, a 0% credit card, or you've got some way that you can begin to pay these professionals. That's part of being prepared. Maybe a, a family loan, you know, I have a lot of um, folks who, come to me who have done that they've they've taken out you know some sort of a family loan but really being prepared and making sure another thing that i'll tell clients to do that's on my checklist is make sure you uh, have um had things in your home repaired you know has the car been repaired whatever it is that you need to do with joint money before you split those assets you know be savvy about that so that's some of the things that that we talk about taking inventory, making copies, and just being a savvy person. Absolutely, and preparing. You talked about the the um, detective part, and and uh, <laughs> I, my new book that's coming out on divorcing a narcissist. Yes. This whole big picture about becoming the detective and looking at things and finding the the secret. You know, oh, I didn't know about that four hundred one k pulling that together. And even if somebody, somebody doesn't know, say, I, I know my spouse has a 401k, but I don't have the account numbers. Still, any track that you can find, any piece of information in the file cabinet that says, oh, that was Merrill Lynch. So even though you don't have the statements, know that you could put it down on your financial degree, um, you know, the financial affidavit saying there is a Merrill Lynch thing somewhere. I don't have the information. But that almost calls them out to say, oh, she said you have Merrill Lynch. Could you please make sure you put that on there, right? Because the more tiny feats of data you have, the better financial picture you'll be able to get and, and hold them accountable for things they might pretend they didn't have. Right. Not that they would ever do that, right? <laughs> we said it. <laughs> I know, I know. And what if they don't have the documentation? Uh, I like, I know that that for my divorce, my, my ex-husband's family, their accountant did our taxes and flat out refused to give me the tax returns. What if someone can't find these papers? Yeah, well, it's, it's illegal. If you file a joint return, they can't not give you, you know, information. So it is really just having your attorney help that professional be educated or subpoenaing those documents, you know, so it, it's, it can be tough. That's why I say be prepared and try to be your own detective ahead of time, uh -huh. you know, because many times, and you and I have talked about this, when I try, it's part of that having the right mindset is I sometimes tell clients, you know, we don't have enough financial information and you're going to mediation next week. So your mindset for mediation and your, and I'll talk with the attorney about this needs to be, 
what can we get while we're there? We're not going to settle, but we're going to get some information. Hmm. And so that's part of, you know, some of the strategy in divorce, you know, especially if you've got a narcissistic spouse is like, what can we give so that we can get some information? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, on our list, we had something about not considering tax consequences. That's a huge one I see so often. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, one is, and, and that's one of the reasons I have um, getting tax returns on our checklist is because a, a tax return for me is like an x-ray for a doctor, right? I can find all kinds of great information out from a tax return. And so um, one of those is depreciated real estate. So if you and your spouse have investment properties or even a second home where the, the real estate has been depreciated over time, and most CPAs do that, when that property is sold in divorce, let's say that's part of your agreement, you've got to look at recapture depreciation for those properties. And so figuring out and having it written in your agreement, who's going to pay those taxes and how that's going to be split. Retirement assets, you know, sometimes I will see a proposal from a spouse where you're getting, you, the, the um, other party, excuse me, is getting all the retirement assets. Well, then if that's the case, we need to look at the after-tax value of that because you're going to be taking out and paying tax on that if you're the one who's getting that. And so making sure that the split considers the after-tax value of something like that. And you know, the home is one of those um, items too. If, if you're single and you sell the property after the divorce, you only get on a capital gain when you sell your property, you only get a $250,000 excuse, exclusion, excuse me. And if you're married, you get 500,000 exclusion. And so here's what we look at, you know, the gain in a property is what did you pay for it? And what are you selling it for now? So an example would be if you have a home that's worth 500,000 and you only pay 250 for it, well, you get a $250,000 exclusion, you know, so you could probably sell that property and take it in the marriage and, and not have to pay tax on it after the marriage. Um, you know, but there are other properties who have a lot more appreciation than that. And it's just being strategic and thinking through those things before you sign on the dotted line with an agreement. I know that rental properties are often another hole, like the black hole. And, and <laughs> you know, especially with the narcissist, oh no, you know, that I manage that. So that's mine. You're not getting it. But um, there's, there's rent on, in, on that. And, and I have seen people through the process of a divorce taking nine months or a year where they were blocked from ever getting any of that rent. And yet these things were being rented for $10,000 a month. And here's the person going, but what about my share of that rent? And they don't even know to go after it. What ha is right. there anything special about rental properties that people should be aware of? Well, you definitely need to have a financial person involved if you've got rental properties because it's the recapture depreciation is a big one. But for sure, you need somebody who is looking at tax returns and looking at, well, where's the rental property income? You, you know, there's only a W-2 income here. There's only, you know, net income on, on the, from their business on here. What about the rental properties? Oh, well, the business owns that. Well, then, you know, we need to be thinking about increasing, um, you know, the value of the business if that's the case. So there, you've got to make sure that you're tracing the income sources and understanding where that's going and coming from, you know, so... So yeah, I mean, absolutely, rental properties are huge. Another one is, you know, thinking about, um, you know, alimony and child support are not taxable anymore. Now, I don't know if that's going to change again, but, you know, with the Trump administration, they took away the alimony deduction. And so, you know, clients are, I mean, I'm sorry, spouses sometimes can be less inclined to negotiate alimony because they're not getting a tax break on that. So thinking about tax consequences, 
you know, uh, as far as child support and alimony, you know, there is, there's no taxes on that. And so you just want to make sure you're thinking through that alimony uh, proposal as well, because your spouse isn't going to like to pay alimony if they can't deduct it. Exactly. Exactly. When you, when you get alimony, you do still pay taxes on it, right? No, you do not. I mean, it's wow, that's good. So, so that's great. That's what the new tax law. And so, you know, you want to make sure that you're checking over your tax returns too, to make sure your CPA understands that. And then the other thing is, is, you know, sometimes I will talk to clients about if their spouse had a business and they're going to be getting a note to pay them out on the business most of that is not income either because it's return of principal. Just the interest on the note is going to be taxable income. So those are the kind of things that we talk through when we look at. Wow, those are wonderful. Now, um, I know we didn't talk about child support yet, but this is a big one. Um, what are the problems with child support that we might have not discussed yet? Uh, yes, yeah, so child support is one of those things that you definitely have to make sure that you're negotiating and talking through. I think one of the biggest ones that I see is, is people don't think into the future and they think about, okay, my spouse is, you know, three, I'm, I'm sorry, my child is three now. Um, and, and they think about daycare expenses. They think about the things that are impacting them now. But what about down the road when the child's in sports? Who is going to be paying those extracurricular activities? Because that's not part of most states' uh, child support calculation. Most states' child support calculation is strictly for, you know, basic needs to survive. And so you got to think through different ages. Now, I will say there's a lot of attorneys who are very hesitant to put, like, for young kids, college expenses. But if you're divorcing and you've got high school kids who are going to be there in a couple of years, you absolutely need to be talking about and negotiating college expenses. Mm -hmm. so. I have a section in my book um, called the 50 shades of gray in the divorce decree because of that exact same college thing you were just describing, right? If you even get them to put it in and agree, because in our state, and I know in some, it's not mandatory that anyone take that responsibility on, but let's just say, daddy pays for college is the line and you go, wee. The problem is that it doesn't say where, how right. much, yeah. what's the cap? Does that include housing? What about books? What about travel if it's someplace else? Um, they have to look at these expenses. So as your three-year-old is there, you're just thinking bottles and car seats and maybe daycare. But as the child gets older and gets into that college age, there's a whole new ball of wax. And this is something that if you are dealing with a narcissist, you have to understand they're going to take advantage. Oh, you didn't say I had a client I went to court with. It, she, it didn't say how much he'd pay and she spent $20,000 to fight him and ended up having to split the college anyway. Had it been defined, had a budget been set up, things would have just been like any contract in business. We would set those things up, but here we're going, oh, we'll just we'll deal with that when it gets here. That means a lawyer and money to deal with it when you get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So planning ahead is so vital. Absolutely. We have another thing in here about not establishing a career or a job. What's that all about? What if you don't have a job and you've been the stay at home mom? That's a lot of my clients and they're just so panicked. Tell me about that. You know, it's such a tough one. And um, I, I have friends that I preach this to and even, um, even, people, you know, in my church, it's a big thing. I'm in the South, right? I'm in the Bible Belt. <laughs> and it's, it is, it's all the time where I'm running into this. And it's not that I'm trying to scare women or freak them out, but, you know, as your kids get older and um, maybe even you are homeschooling them, that's great. Maybe you can find an hour when they're older where you can work on some type of a designation or a degree for yourself 
or some sort of a licensure. You know, licensures and designations are much cheaper than a whole degree. It, an apprenticeship, you know, learning a skill, um, anything like that, so that if you ever do get in the situation of divorce, you're not without a skill. Because mm -hmm. here's the thing, when you go through divorce, you're taking one household and making it two. And I promise you that math never works in your favor, mm -hmm. you know, and so you can't, you, at least in South Carolina, you know, part of the alimony calculation or consideration is the lifestyle. Well, I have women who hang on to that. Well, he has to pay for my lifestyle. I promise you that's not going to happen if you get before a judge. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to have this, that, that mindset I keep talking about. You've got to have the right mindset of, you know, going back to work is not a bad thing. It, look at it as a learning opportunity, but maybe you don't have to do it. You know, having somebody who can help you understand how the decision and divorce are going to impact your financial future are huge for you. Because if you've been a stay-at-home mom and you don't understand a budget and you don't understand these things, you've got to have somebody helping you understand what is this going to look like? What kind of job or how, here's the thing I help a lot of my clients understand is how much do you need to make per hour? Mm -hmm. You know, don't expect, you know, if you're, if your financial plan says you're going to have to make $75,000 where you're going to have to go back to school, or you're going to have to learn a skill or get a licensure to make that kind of money, you're not going to do it being a Lyft driver, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's trying to help them understand that and figuring out, well, even I've got a great resource where we go through an exercise with clients and we help them find out what are they good at? What are their gifts and talents? You know, what, what could they do? You know, do they love to go to Hobby Lobby? If you do, why don't you consider doing a part-time job at Hobby Lobby for a while? And maybe you won't even feel like you're working, you know, so those, <laughs> you might spend all your paycheck there, but so, <laughs> But we talk through a lot of those things because, you know, I have a ton of ladies coming through my office who just um, are in that situation. And so it's a reality. We have to think about it and look at it, you know. So putting your head in the sand and just saying, I'm not going to go back to work is not a great strategy. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I had an, an amazing job and gave it up for my, my ex-husband. And um, that's pretty topical, right? And and so, okay, so now I've been out of the workforce for 10 years. Yes. And he was determined that I should be back making that salary, you know, at, at the ripe old age of 50 something, that I could be a software engineer that I hadn't even touched software in, in 15 years. So he had a, a career analysis ordered. So that's something that they can also pull out of their, you know, hand and go, oh, she, she could do so much more. Well, it, it turned out that didn't work in their favor. Cause again, who wants a software engineer that hasn't been doing that, right? So, right. you know, thankfully because of this crazy divorce I had, I have a whole new career <laughs> and ha ha, the jokes on them, right? But yeah, but and I think that's lesson. a great point, you know, because you have to have the right mindset in it. You took that as an opportunity to do something new. Yeah, exactly. And just change it and go, I, I got it, I've got to survive, you know. Um, one of the other things on your list, which I just think is such an important thing to bring up, is social security. Um, so many people forget about that. And I know there's something about like how many years you were married. Can you elaborate on that one? Yeah, sure. So if you were married 10 or more years to your spouse, then you are entitled, if you don't remarry, to half of their social security or yours on your own record, whichever is greater. And so, you know, when we have um, clients in the office who are single ladies, that's one of the things we always ask is, were you married before? Okay, well, how long? And we walk through, it's part of our transition when we have clients in their 60s who are going through divorces, we make sure, you know, they file for Medicare at age 65 and that they understand the complexities of social security 
and how to navigate that because social security grows at 8% simple interest a year with no risk. You know, as a financial advisor, I don't have any kind of an investment like that for clients. So, you know, you, you have to think about that and look at what makes the most sense for you as far as filing social security. And so it's really important to know that. And here's the other thing. It doesn't impact their social security record. So it doesn't impede them from collecting their full amount. Okay. And is that when you're, so let's say you are entitled to collect the, the half of their social security um, and you've been married for 30 years and how is that distributed to, does it get done where the, the IRS is just going, oh, we've now rewritten it and you get this and they get that. It's not a ongoing nagging them for their money, is it? Yeah, no. So it's a great question. So when you call, and a lot of times I'll do it with a client, I'll call social security with them, or, or most of the time we'll schedule an appointment and then I make sure they're with me when social security calls them. Mm -hmm. And we will go through that and talk about, because you have to ask the question the right way. Social security isn't going to say, oh yes, you were married to Bob. Here's Bob's benefit. So that means yours is this. The way you have to word it with them is you have to say, what is my benefit, my spousal benefit compare? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what is my benefit on my record? And so you have to ask it the right way with them. And then they will say, oh, well, so we, so you were married. Can you tell us your spouse's social security number? And so you have to have their social security number, right? And you have to have your date of marriage. And sometimes it, when you go to file for that, you don't want to do that online. It's more complex than that. You want to make sure you have an appointment set at your local, local excuse me, social security office because they're going to want you to bring proof of marriage, proof of divorce. So you've got to have your marriage license. You've got to have, you know, your, um, a copy of your divorce decree, um, you know, so that there's proof that you were in fact married to this person. And, and that's a win right there. Like if people just learn anything from that video, it's look at this benefit that you might be walking away from because it's not the normal split money, split house, split kids, boom. If you've right. been married that long, so many people just don't even know it. And, and lawyers, um, if you don't say it, they're not going to look at it. It's, it's the financial person like yourself that's going to be like, yo, you're walking away from $4,000 a month. Like, let's pay attention right. to this, right? And so when, when people are worried about that, I think that's important. I know that um, I, I have this in my book as well. I, let's say they were supposed to pay you support and they die. <laughs> you know, it's like, what happens? Like I had a client recently who, who, who was divorcing and we were in making sure that she had life insurance for the length of the time she was going to be owed the money. Um, what happens with that insurance on the fact that who knows what's going to happen? Because if, if you're supposed to get support for 10 years and he dies or she dies in three, it's all gone. Poof, right? But how do they protect themselves from that? Yeah, so we want to make sure the document has language surrounding um, the beneficiary of life insurance as well as retirement plans. You know, sometimes people are not insurable and they're getting divorced. And so just asking it, you know, or having it as part of the negotiation and in the language of the document that you remain as their uh, IRA 401k beneficiary. I mean, that's a e easy, right? That's easy. Um, and so we do that a lot of times if the spouse is not insurable. But again, in that situation, you have to think about the after tax, right? Because you're going to be paying tax when you take it out of retirement plan and you're not going to be when you get life insurance, life insurance proceeds are non-taxable. And so you have to think through what's best, you know, in your situation, you know, and many times the situation will dictate, like I was saying, where they, they're not insurable, but having that language in there. And then, you know, sometimes the spouse will balk at that and they will say, well, you know, um, my retirement plan or my life insurance death benefit is 12 times 
the amount that I would owe her. Well, is that really true? So we have a way that we do a lump sum calculation of the alimony. And that just means that we look at all those future cash flows. And let's say they're paying you for the next 10 years monthly alimony. We look at, well, what would that look like if they paid all of it to you today? And we make sure that the death benefit on the life insurance will cover that, that uh, present value calculation of the, of the future alimony payments. And then we also will look at that for, um, you know, for the retirement plan as well and help, help you understand that and make sure that it's in your favor. Yeah. I had a woman who was mid to late sixties when she was getting her divorce and um, we got the life insurance policy in there. And I just said to her, well, she's like, this is all I'm ever going to have to pay my kids. This is, you know, because I was a stay-at-home mom. I get no savings. This is it. So if something happens to him and, and, and that we have covered, but what if something happens to me and I die, then my kids don't have this potential income coming in. So we were able to write into the contract and they accepted it that after, if she should die, it would go to an estate that would then be in, in the children's names. So again, if you don't ask about something like that, you're never going to get it. But I mean, imagine with COVID, so many people are passing and, and in older age more than anybody. So just be like plan ahead. And again, if you don't ask, you don't get. So yeah. you don't know. That was a, that was an amicable situation that you were working in. Correct. Absolutely. Well, no, he was a cray cray, but. Oh, but got it. Well, he just accepted the language. That's great. He accepted the language because they just wanted the battle over. And, and again, yeah, it was his kids too. So it wasn't really, you know, but it worked. So good. What other things do you have on your list that we have to know about the, 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 the risks that we could have? Yeah, the last thing um, that I will say that I typically find a lot of errors in is just not understanding the complexities that surround the marital home. Mm. Um, you know, because you really can do one of three things with the marital home in an agreement. You can continue to own it together, which I find most people do not want to do that unless you've got some specific event that you're waiting on, like we'll sell the house when the kids graduate and split the difference. Like sometimes I see that, but owning the home together is one option. You can either sell it and split the proceeds before you divorce, you know, or right after the divorce. Sometimes the language will say, you know, they're going to proceed and sell the house and split the proceeds 50 50. Um, the other and the third thing is, is just one of you keep the house. And so it's the thing that I always just um, cringe when I have, and, and most of the time I see it with the, with the female, you know, they want the marital home. That's the home that their kids grew up in and they don't want to let it go. Um, well, the, I understand that when kids are small because you don't want to disrupt them as much as possible, right? Mm -hmm. But when the kids are grown and out of the house and you've got a four to 5,000 square foot house, you know, keeping that house, just it, you've got to look at the finances behind that and make sure that's a wise decision for you. Can you afford that? Mm -hmm. If you're divorced now and you're on a limited budget because they're only paying you alimony, you might not be able to afford a four to 5,000 square foot house. And so it is just being accepting and having the right mindset of being okay with letting, letting that go. And I had a client recently that had to do that. And what, what we did was we, she did an album. She went around and took pictures of the home and she put them in an, in an album, you know, so that she would have that to remember the home that her kids grew up in. Mm -hmm. And then for another client, we actually had a, a picture done and, and we, and she had it so that it's, it was a labeled as the place where her kids grew up. And she's got that on a wall, on a wall in her new house, you know, so that she can have that fond memory. So I think that's the biggest thing is, is making sure that you can afford it. So you got to understand, you know, the complexities behind 
um, you know, the, the marital home and, and make sure that you're, you're doing something that's in your best interest. And then we talked about the tax consequences, you know, before just making sure that you understand, you know, the, if you sell it after the divorce, you're only going to get a $250,000 exclusion as a single person. Whereas if you sell it when you're married, you get a $500,000 exclusion. And yeah. so um, you just got to figure out what's best for you. Right. And, and any contentious narcissistic divorce, like even suggesting the, the sell before or sell after is, is always a touchy subject, but the money talks. And what you just said is if we do it now, we will actually both be better. And so having someone like yourself to sit there and like, just go, let me tell you about this because our ego once again gets involved where we're like, no, 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 I want to hold on to the house. And then again, you, you wait too long and things happen and you actually lose a lot of money that, that you are putting on the table because you just were stubborn and said, no. And then, then there you are. So but you're, you're great in helping your clients know that stuff too, Tracy. So there's so much to know, you know, after coaching so many people and hearing their stories and this worked and this didn't work. And, and, you know, it, it, everybody learns from each other. It's so powerful. So yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you have that you want to just end on and, and a little wisdom for everyone? Well, I think the biggest thing is just that divorce is really hard. And, you know, understanding the complexities that are involved, hopefully by having this time with us, clients have realized, you know, that hiring early and making sure that they have great documentation, that they understand complexities and tax consequences, that it's more than just a, a simple agreement that you make with your spouse. It's, it can be pretty pretty intense. And so hiring those professionals early and making sure that, you know, you have got somebody on your team who knows the financial uh, aspects and the consequences, you know, because it's so crazy. I don't know if, if this is the way it is in other parts of, of the nation, but many, you know, South Carolina is still very litigious. And I've had attorneys um, feel like I am their competition. And so it is just helping you. Sometimes you have to be your own advocate with your attorney and just saying, no, you know, I, I've, these complexes are these, I'm sorry, these financials are way too complex. I've got to have, you know, some sort of a financial person and be persistent, make them give in. You know, sometimes I've had these old school attorneys who are used to doing it themselves. And I get that. But, you know, times have changed. And if you've got an attorney like that, be your advocate. Just put your foot down and say, maybe we're not a right fit. You know, I'd hate to fire you, but I got to have a financial person. So, right. Right. you know, be, be your advocate. I think that would be the biggest thing that I would say. So, you know, divorce is, is complex. If you've got complex financials, you probably need a seasoned financial professional. Absolutely. That's such a valid point. And, and, and what you also said in there is that you're going to pay your lawyer to do the same stuff, only not with all the financial like data in his head. So, yeah. you know, take the, the road and take it to the person who does this all day long and then, add, you know, adds on to and, and comes with your working in, you know, togetherness with your lawyer that's yeah. what we want some we want a team and to have a team the team has to play together but we don't care we just want our divorce to go the best way it possibly can and your financial future to not end at the day of the divorce because you didn't think about that and you forgot about that and and you planned for a three-year-old instead of a kid going into college these things must be laid out and if they don't make it then we'll be very big mistake. So I am so grateful for having you here. Thank you for joining me. Can you tell people how they can uh, find out more about you? Sure, absolutely. So our web address is the financial knot with a K, K N O T uh, dot com. So it's the financial knot.com. And also, if you just Google Stephanie Vocal and it's V O K R A L, that's a little bit of a tongue twister. And our phone number is 
403-1308. Awesome. Thank We're you. also on Facebook and Twitter. Always forget to say that. We're on Facebook and Twitter. You can find us there too, but we are in South Carolina. So you get to enjoy this Southern accent all the time. And you, you, guys, you guys can work with people in other states as well as have referrals if there are places where you can't. Yes. And we never leave a client hanging. If you call me and your situation isn't something that I can handle, we will always make sure that you've got a right or ref referral to an attorney or even sometimes another financial person. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I am so grateful. The financial piece of the divorce is now going to be solved thanks to you. Let's get people out there and and learning more about this. So thank you so much. And um, I can't, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your work too. It's so important. I mean, I see narcissistic, uh, you know, people with narcissistic spouses in my office all the time. And the work that you're doing is so helpful to support those people. So thank you as well. Thank you. I hope you found that information really helpful. Stephanie has a wealth of, of knowledge and information and she can find someone that is near you if you can't work with her for some reason, um, but reach out, get your questions answered because your future is in the hands of this divorce. You make one mistake like that. Ooh, I, I didn't know I was entitled to their social security. Cha-ching, you would have lost money and left it on the table while they snuck off laughing all the way. Over 10 years, you've got different rights. So I hope that you check out her website, get some more information, and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much. If you haven't um, subscribed to my channel, please do. Talk to you later.